you can ensure the success of your company that year in the time that you're 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 in a quiet room you're making your processes filming your videos 99 percent of all your success can be done in the building process and then the rest is just implementation i don't throw darts at a board i bet on sure things Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to the Process Veterans Podcast. Today, I have an esteemed panel of guests. We have David Kerner, Paul Kankowski, and Matthew Tringali. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Awesome. All right. So guys, I asked you to, to come on because each of you has a lot of experience and background with processes. You're over the hump. It's not old news. There's still excitement. You're still pushing the boundaries, but you've kind of been there and done there with a lot of the basics and you've figured some things out. You're tasting some of the fruit. So I'd love to, to kick it off here. As you reflect on the current state of your systems, what are the areas and the ways in which you're getting the most leverage right now that you're really excited about and you're really proud of? Well, I, I would say that you have a lot of processes that have different team members involved and you know you can have tasks automatically assigned across your company. Um, things have happened in sequence or out of sequence and it enables the everything, everybody in the company to come together and work on the same tasks without really having to talk to each other because it's done through the computer system. I would, I would say that everything revolves around money in some regards, and processes make you more money. Why do they make you more money? Because you don't miss things. People get things done, people go things. So when you get good processes in place, your company's gonna be more profitable and you're gonna, the fees that you would have forgot to charge or didn't get charged, mm. they get charged. So processes are essential if you want to grow your business. I'll go a little more meta with this where we are. So we, we went pretty deep with some processes, but realized that we um, stepped over the, the why with our team. And so we failed to properly explain the features and benefits and value to the team on where, why their life is better, why the client's life is better, why this is good for everybody. And we expected them to just push the button because the button says it needs to be pushed. And so we've actually taken a step back to simplify some of our processes and really dive a lot deeper into the trailing side of things right now to get a lot more kind of buy-in and bigger picture thinking from the team, um, which only helps make the processes better from there. That's some interesting sentiment because I've heard that before, over-engineering. What say you guys about over-engineering? How much is the right amount of explicit direction to give, automation to add, zaps to connect, as opposed to the balance of usability, practicality, auditability, et cetera. What's y'all's take on that? I think that the most important processes, the ones that are that make the most money for your company deserve more attention. The ones that are more you know complicated deserve more attention. And then you might have a process like offboarding an owner, you know, involved in a churn uh, when you're no longer working with a customer customer anymore. A process like that, which is not profit driven, um, doesn't need as much attention as something like um, onboarding a property or leasing or even selling a property. And, and I would go with 
the fact that we talked about uh, sometimes you don't want to get the bells and whistles too quickly. I think some people really try to just throw in, oh, I want to zap it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I want day one to zap it. Mm -hmm. Well, they, if you zap crap, crap goes zapped. So mm -hmm. what you, what I always say is don't zap anything. Have everything be manual done for a couple months. Yeah. And once they get it down and they know what they're doing, then you can zap it, but you don't Build want to. it. Yeah, because if, if you zap if you zap a bad mm. thing, then you're zapping bad customer service, bad this. So you're, you're serving up vitamins though here, man. That is really unpalatable advice for a lot of people. A lot of people have trouble restraining themselves and doing that kind of blocking and tackling. Like the patience factor yeah. is difficult for a lot of folks. So when you think about like that, like just teasing that out, that is all because why? You don't want to move too fast. Is about team expectations. Is about getting dialed in. Like, what's the argument in favor of that kind of patience that for most owners is not very satisfying? Well, first off, it's a good training tool for your, your staff. Your staff needs to know every part of the process. So if it's just zapping it, they might not know why it's going wrong. They might not know, oh, that email goes out to the owner. But if they've been doing it for two months and they've been manually sending that owner that email for two months, and then all of a sudden, when this happens, that email automatically gets sent. They know the process. And so, so many people are so quick, they want the quick fix. And processes aren't about, hey, if I work on it for six hours, my process is going to be done. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. That's not the case. Processes take time, but it's worth it because it'll make your company run so much smoother. Yeah. Um, you, you asked the question about, you know, how much is too much or whatever. And, and yeah, like Paul said, to me, it's, it's when you lose the interconnectedness. And that's when, um, and I was chatting with, um, with Chris Bercompas about this. He's smarter than me. There's some fancy word called like second wave process or third wave process. I can't remember, but, but, but he, we were describing a problem we were having. He was like, oh yeah, your textbook second wave problem. <laughs> and so, yeah. And I don't remember what it is, but basically the idea is, is like your first pass through your process is, is usually very simple. And it's basically just, you know, checklists and very basic and people can follow it. Mm -hmm. And then your second pass through, you over-engineer it. It's just what people do. You're like, oh, this is really sexy. And I'm going to like, you put all the bells and whistles in and it's too complicated. And then your third pass through is figuring out how to dial that stuff back in a mm -hmm. meaningful way. And, um, and to Paul's point, and, you know, when we made that second pass, we lost some of the interconnectedness, right? So people would forget like, oh yeah, you know, because I did this, it's going to impact. There's a dependency. There's a dependency on either a teammate or an email template that went out or whatever. And when they lose sight of the bigger picture, that just inherently creates problems unto itself. Um, and then, you know, to the point of kind of, you know, where people are at, um, you know, one of my things is, is you can't fix all the problems all the time. And so, you know, I really encourage other business owners and property managers to find the levers that will make the biggest impact with yeah. the smallest amount of effort, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And so there are too many things that we get focused on doing either just because it's our pet project or it sounds super cool that geek out on. you want to geek out on, which if that's your thing, like go for it. But there are so many things like that that require maximum effort for actually a little impact. Yes. And it's like, well, okay, like if that's your thing, go for it. But I really encourage people to really focus on what are the smallest things I can do that'll make a huge impact. You know, Jordan, I, I, some people know that I like, you know, I get into processes. So people who really don't have processes set up, they'll come up to me and they'll talk to me. They want some advice on processes. And I ask them, do you have all your tasks and your processes documented on paper yet? Mm. And the first questions they're asking me is, how can they zap this? How mm -hmm. can they integrate yeah. this? And I say to them, listen, do yourself a favor. Don't even think about zaps. Mm -hmm. You're not even close to that. You got to document the processes, document the tasks, who they're assigned to, when they're going to happen, how they're going to happen. 
once you have that on paper checklists and you're rocking and rolling with that, then move to a program, a software that does digital tasks. And when that's rocking and rolling, then you can start finding things that are bottlenecks that are taking a little bit more time. Then you could start with simple zaps. But if you start thinking you've got to be like Wolfgang and have these major zaps that do everything for the company, you're never going to get started and you're never going to have anything. And I would go with that. I do think that even if you're just starting, having a software is really good. I mean, it's you don't have to do it on paper because it is 2020. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, who writes on paper anymore? But having a software, my big thing with people is they say, I'm going to do all my processes this month. Like, we're right. going to do the entire company this month. And my point is, do one. Well, do one and get it right and spend two to three months on it and then do the second. Spend two to three months on it. Then, so it might take you two years to have like your company where all the processes are dialed down and going, but it's not going to be something where you go spend that weekend and then you're moving, you're moving mm -hmm. out, you're leasing, mm -hmm. everything's like process. Learn, learn it and then also get buy in from the people that are doing the mm. job. Too many people. They, they just, they work on it and then they go hand it to their staff and their staff's like, what is this? So have your staff buying it in and um, you can start with a really simple software or you can start with Lead Simple. I do think that you can start from day one with Lead Simple, but don't try to do eight and don't just get a, people always ask me, can I just have your process? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I, if, I give, if I give you a process, it's not going to work. I can mm -hmm. give you your my framework. process, the framework and I can have, a, you can pay our, one of our companies to help you form it to your company, but you can't just get someone's process. It's not like you can just buy it. Like Everybody Matt, does not, things different. All three of ours would never work for any of our companies. You might have the same process names, like yeah. move-ins, move-outs, <laughs> right. but what is inside of a move-in and move-out may be completely different for your state, your company, your team members. So, Let, let's, yeah. let's riff on one process. <laughs> what is one process that you think would be emblematic of that? What's one process that you guys are, are each proud of? Onboarding. On renewals and onboarding. I say um, lease renewals. All right, let's roll with onboarding. What do you think is probably the, uh, an example of emblematic of some difference in the way that you guys approach onboarding? Well, the, I, first I want to say what's the most important thing, why onboarding we think it's most important is because that is your first, that, that is a yeah. money process. If you have a bad experience to a new owner, it sets the pace it sets forever. The pace. And so how many times did you get a property and you forget to get this paperwork to an order, you forget to do this? So having a good onboarding process could just be writing down what your steps are that you have to do for your order. Like in California, we need a, what is a 590 or 588. He doesn't need a 590 or 588. You probably don't even know what a 590 or 588 is. So like there's so many, but we all, all three of us need a W9. Yeah. But so there's things that are the same. Universal things. But, there's, but the way I get the W9s could be very different. Mm. So the like so it's really but it, it's just a, such an important process because it's your first impression. I think onboarding would probably be one of the most universal processes across if any of them are. Mm -hmm. Onboarding would be one of the most universal processes for all property managers. Um I think other processes would be more unique. But everybody I think is a trying to do the same things. There might be different documents are co collecting yeah. and different things are saying in the emails. Sure. But the gist is the same. Yeah, it, it is. But there's a lot of questions that every company has to ask. Like, for example, if you have a separate BDM and, you know, a property management team and there has well, to be some signing. To. Yeah, if there's some handoff that has to happen, sure. 
um, that's really tricky. Like anytime you have to have a handoff, that would be a variable. It's 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 a failure point that mm-hmm. can happen, mm-hmm. and so you know that's where your processes need to. I, I encourage people to try to eliminate handoffs as much as possible. But if you're where you have to have handoffs, they have to be really good. Mm. You have to have processes around them. You have to have the team bought in on how that handoff is going to happen. And that's why the onboarding process is partially so important because you always hear like sales versus ops and, you know, every company struggles with that, right? Right. Of like, oh, why are you onboarding these crappy clients, you know, sending these crappy clients to me? Or if they come on and and then they don't work out because maybe they weren't weren't crappy, the sales guy is frustrated, you know, maybe he has got money tied up in that. Um, And so you just have to dial all that in, right? To have good discovery, good handoff, good onboarding. And it's good opportunities in both processes, onboarding and leasing, where there's variables that pop up at the beginning. Is the property in an HOA or not? And based on right. that answer, mm-hmm. tasks will be generated or not, or be hidden um, in both the processes. Does it have so, solar? Does it have, yeah. you know, all those things that are going to create a different experience and that you need to know. And so like, but like you were saying, the one thing I really, that we did this year, which is really great for onboarding, is we do have a BDM now. And it's having the BDM send it differently for onboarding than if it's an owner that we already have who's just adding property. Like the BDM is not going to be doing that work. So mm-hmm. now, however, the property goes through or starts. And if you're a bigger company, you might have two or three BDMs. You know, each one of them needs to have the, have the process, but it needs to be done. Like maybe it's regional. Like, you know, so there's just, there is like a, a, a big, a big company versus a small company. But I do think owner onboarding, property onboarding, would be two of the processes that you could get started with pretty quickly. That would probably be the easiest to start with and the most important. Yeah. So what's great about onboarding is it's emblematic of the service mentality. A lot of the other literal functional day-to-day processes, it's like efficiency, don't make mistakes, get it done quickly. Onboarding, per your commentary, it's it's for those that are even nominally enlightened, it's really clear. This is about first impressions. Mm. How you win them is how you keep them. Folks that have read- Setting expectations. Exactly. Folks that have read books like Joey Coleman's book, Never Lose Another Customer, kind of get that vision. And that's another example of how there's such a bigger meta conversation above process around company philosophy. The process is a way to codify a way of thinking. It's your culture and your approach to business codified and manifest through those those smaller steps. Hold it accountable to actually happen. Tell me more about that. Okay, so you might have a great company culture, philosophy, something you want to convey to the public. And you tell everybody, but how do you get them to actually do it? You're not on every telephone call with them. Right. You're not seeing every email. You want to make sure you the emails in your processes could be written by the person who's created the vision or the culture and the team members, you know, they fill out a few blanks in the email, but they send it out, which ensures that um, the emails are going to be the same every time. And it's going to, it's going to convey the culture, the vision, the expectations, rather than like going to McDonald's and every day somebody makes the cheeseburger different every time, which just sucks every any way you do it. So it's a bad example. Um, but, but yeah. it's consistently it's sucky. Consistently <laughs> sucky, yeah. yeah. They win on that for sure. And then, um, and let's say a task, a call needs to be done after a certain step happens, a touch point happens, and you hope your team is actually doing it on a paper checklist. It doesn't necessarily have a due date, but here it's got a due date. They need a call after this this event happens because this is when it will be most impactful and represent us and what we you know are trying to convey. That's where the the processes that are date driven mm-hmm. 
come in and are really good. And I and I want to add to you yours. You could hold the team accountable for doing it the way that you created. Right. I want to add to yours. I agree with everything you said, except that the big thing is that you can make videos that you're sending out, which is even better than even the email, better. something embedded. Absolutely. So you as the owner can make a video once. Once. You go through the whole process. Yes. And those, those people feel like they're talking to you. They feel like they understand you. When you get a property manager that introduces them, that can be an email that goes over and you know it can be done. So there's just so many things that you could do in the yep. process that you as an owner don't have to repeat, but your people can repeat your process. Mm -hmm. over you can over ensure again. the success of your company that year yeah. in the time that you're, you're you're in a quiet room, you're making your processes, filming your videos. Ninety nine percent of all your success can be done in the building process, and then the rest is just implementation. One percent, the team does it. Yeah, that's leverage. What you just referenced—that's deep work to be able to do that cognitive work and that exercise. It's funny because you guys are really reminding me of my co-founder, Chris, who's an engineer by trade. And engineers have this reputation of actually being some of the laziest people you ever meet. And that's why they are so averse. Chris is so off-put by the idea of doing things manually. Like if I have a spreadsheet, yeah. that's a, it's a messy spreadsheet and I need to update it. I'm willing to go in there, copy paste. He refuses. For him, it's like, it's a macro, it's a process, yeah. pseudo code. He's just really intolerant of anything like that. When you guys think about internally in your organization, the leverage that you're getting, how do you get the team to get on board and to become more process thinkers themselves? How much of an ask do you make of your team? It, it could be compliance, like you're gonna do this because I told you, or it could be it's mutual self-interest, it's gonna make your job easier, or That's it. you could try and transfer that process thinking mentality to them. What's the conversation, the dialogue you have with your staff? This is the biggest thing. When there's a mistake that happens, we go back to the process and we go look at the process. And so something happens, it costs the company four or 500 bucks. And I go look and I say, what happened? Why did this happen? So we look at the process and I say, oh yeah, the process was wrong. We skipped this step. Let's get this in there. I apologize. Or, oh, you missed this part of the work. Hey, make sure you don't miss in the future. So the process is something that we can hold accountability, but like Saying you got to do this, this is your job. You're not get the buy-in from the beginning. I said bring the team members on to create the process. If they created the process, if they're there for the revisions, if they're there to like get buy-in. Now there's going to be some things where you're going to say, hey, by our state law, this is how we're doing, it, or I'm not going to take the liability. And you're going to make as an owner um, that you're going to do it this way. For the most part, bring in team buy-in, have them working on it, have them own it, have them liking it. And when we start new people. Their job, how they learn their job, is they just go through the process. Yeah. Go through the process like 20 times. And the process is so- It's like easy. an SOP, can, right? Yeah. It's, it's so the process helps them know how to do their job. So they, it, once you get your process done, every new employee doesn't think anything different. It's just part of how the company works. Jordan, I was laughing earlier about the, uh, about the engineer comment. Because yeah, all my life I've been kind of like, like, oh, that's so lazy. I'm like, no, no, it's efficient. It's efficient. <laughs> <laughs> but- um. But yeah, you know, uh, on a team buy-in, um, you need to have a, just enough bandwidth to take a step back and really evaluate right people, right seats with your team. Um, chances are there's somebody on your team right now that would actually really dig working on your processes, and you may not even know it. Um, and so, you know, uh, it, you know, and I have a way that I kind of, you know, go through this w with companies and with their team, but have a way to just go through and figure out, you know, what, what, what do people want to be working on? Where does skill meet passion, mm. right? 
uh, where does skill meet passion and find the people that, um, and actually they don't even need the skill. What they actually need is just the passion. So if you have somebody in your team that is passionate about this stuff, skill can be taught. Uh, but if you have people like I tend to be a little bit more like this, um, I have some of the skills around process and stuff, but quite frankly, I get kind of burnt out with it. My passion isn't always there. And so I really have to find people in my team that are passionate about it or about certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Paul's good about this. I mean, have them write the process, you know, have them go through the work of, of writing that process. And then you go through and help filter it. Like, okay, well, we need to tweak this week that, send it back to them for another revision and just kind of rinse and repeat until you have it, you know, good enough. Um, and then, you know, and I also tell people when you're bringing on a new employee, like when, when we have remote team members coming on, for example, like, look, um, one of the first things you can have them do is just watch, just have them watch and document what they see happening. Um, they can actually be part of the process to write your processes by just documenting everything that's happening. Have them write it down. That's the start of a process right there. Um, so, you know, for a lot of people, they either don't have the skill or don't have the passion, but um, you probably have somebody in your team that does. And if you don't, um, you can easily find somebody to bring on your team to help with that. Yeah, I think this is a really important point. When we talk about processes and what typically, or technology in general, and what typically goes wrong, the common themes that I see are the owner had the vision, there was excitement, passion, technology, like it's not a brilliant insight, technology in your business can help make things better, but it's the actual rollout where a lot of folks choke. And that rollout can either break in getting to the first finish line or one of the many finishes line, finish lines after. And the truth is, I guess that's the delusion that there's a finish line. You need the break. Oh, yeah. there, there is no finish line. You, you, need, to have, you need to get to, to milestones yes. where it's usable and we can go, we can test it, make it better. But this idea that I'm going to make this investment and it's painful, but that'll be done. You're not no, done. And no, furthermore, no. if it's on your back to have to carry and make all of the changes, yeah. the level of distance that I have between various aspects of my business, I meet and I do coaching conversations with all of my team members at varying levels of cadence. And one of the things I communicate with them early on is this is not a one-on-one. This is not a training conversation where I'm telling you to do, how, to, you, how to do your job because I don't know how to do your job. I can't tell you. I need you and your direct manager to know how to do your job. Therefore, you have to be in a position to be updating and changing those things. I mean, what a heavy burden if all changes have to come out of the owner's brain. So, yeah. Well, you talked about buy-in. Um, it started with all everything coming out of my brain. But after interviewing everybody on the team of what works best, we document it together. And they like being a part of it. But the changes as as you go, the team, every meeting and interaction I seem to be having with my team revolves around an edit in a process or an update in a process. So mostly every conversation we have has to do with reanalyzing and updating the process and making it better. And and just to go back a little bit, the buy-in for the team, if you've got the right team and a good fit for your company and they buy into your culture, they buy into the quality that you're trying to provide, um, they're going to like any tool that helps them do that. If it's a customer that just wants to get, if it's a, uh, a employee who just wants to make it through the day and they don't care, it doesn't matter. They're not going to buy in. It's just going to be sometimes like a hurdle for them. But if they really buy into your company and what you're trying to do, and they can see the connection with the software is making that happen for them, they will start contributing ideas. They will you know, say, hey, what about we change this? Let's do that. And they like to be heard. And they feel proud when 
you implement the change that they recommended. So mm. definitely include them. Mm-hmm. And Paul, Paul and David are both hitting on something important. I want to draw a distinction between systems and processes. And sometimes these get lumped together, right? But a process is like, you know, like the, an engine or one part of the car, right? You, you know, you have uh, an engine over here and an alternator over here. And, you know, and automations. Things, automa- automations, too. And automations is totally over there. You can have a process without any automations, yes. right? Yeah. But, you know, but a process is one thing. But a system is the bigger picture thing, it's right? totality. It's, it's the totality. It's the whole car. And so you need to have a system in place. You know, my business, we operate off of EOS, and I help other companies do that as well. And, and, and that's just one way to do it, but it, it's a good way to do it because it gives you that feedback loop that you guys are talking feedback about, right? Loop. Yep. Yeah, it gives you the system by which to regularly and systematically be analyzing your processes. Mm-hmm. Um, because every breakpoint that happens, in my opinion, always just comes back down to either people or processes, right? Like, okay, this failure happened. Always start with the process. Like, okay, did we have a process for that? Uh, did was there something broken about that process we need to fix? Did we follow the process? Do you not understand the process? Do we need more training around the process? Right. So it gives it shows you, you it yes. gives you feedback. Right. Well, the one of the really cool things is when I started with Process Street, um, I learned Process Street. I learned the back ends of Process Street. I, I kind of figured it out. We switched to Lead Simple, and I hold I hold a systems workshop, and I have a conference. So everyone thinks I'm a Lead Simple expert. I don't know how Lead Simple works. Like, I mean, I have, I mean, I know how it works, the ba- ba- the basics, but I have two people on my team that are doing it now. And so we were just switching from Process Street to Lead Simple. Why would I learn another software? Why was I going to have to do something that my team can do and then mm. they can do better? Because I have more things to do and I have other things I want to do. So the, the thing is that you were talking about earlier is there's so many people that own companies that this might not be your thing you love. Like there's some people that don't like accounting. Mm-hmm. So you get a really good accountant. Yeah, right. You might not love this. And me and Matthew, both of us have people that do it, and both of them are remote. So, And mm-hmm. they're doing an amazing job. They're very intelligent. They love what they're doing. And you just get people on your team that all of a sudden, like we just got a second person who just, he loves sitting there and tinkering and trying to figure it out and like trying to like figure out why it broke or why this happens. I just like to break it. Like I just, they finish <laughs> it up and I just sit there and I, oh, this didn't work. And you do this, this, and this change. So I'm the, I'm the hammer, but they're... They they do all the building, and that's ble- much more fun to be the hammer than not to buy in on that if they're in charge of that. Yeah, well, they yeah, and they're and they'll just they'll be like, and and, and so it takes sometimes four or five times because you know I will break things down when I see it, but I'm not sitting there going and doing coding or anything. Like you know, people are like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to code it. Mm-hmm. So that's an attractive segue because a lot of folks feel that way. They don't yeah. want to do coding. Don't know how. Uh, they're in a position of understanding how the sausage is made. They've been doing property management for a while. They're maybe have some early layers of middle management. They see the problems of technology. They've tried a couple times and failed. Walk me through the conversation that you would have with somebody that is in that position around buying criteria, technology, going in, eyes wide open, how to, how to, how to get over the hump Simple. and get in the game. Like, it, like we were talking about at the very beginning. Don't start with Zapier. You don't have to start with automations. You can have processes, simple, the, the big milestones, the big uh, major tasks, and then you could build from there. But like I said, I get a lot of people that are, approach me about it, and they think they have to have Zapier, Zapier automations to start. And because they can't do it, they don't make any processes or any checklists. Start with the simple processes and checklists. See how they work. See how they break. Fix them, and then add an automation later when it's all working. So, so I, I just want to say that is, I think that is part of it is, is DIY. Let's start there. How do you guys feel about 
DIY for folks, for your average, you know, you, you're here, you know, this average profile of your average owner. How do you feel about DIY versus facilitation in terms of buying criteria, brass tacks? Let's start there. Well, one thing I want to hit on the, that Paul mentioned earlier is, um, <clears throat> cause I also, you know, all of us here probably have is people come to us are like, can you just sell me your process or give me a process? And just like Paul, I'm always like, it's of no use to you. And it is very, very tempting to want a shortcut in that way. And, and there are templates you can go out there and purchase. I've done it. Uh, but I mean, almost all of the time, what I hear is you buy that thing and it just gets stuck on a shelf, right? Um, you, you never really translate it into your own thing like you think you're going to do. It's too complicated. Well, it's actually too overwhelming yes. to start with the template. Yeah, so you don't actually, start at all. So you don't start at all. It's actually less overwhelming to start DIY. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, we actually sell our processes but we sell them with hours that you are going to get with one of our awesome people doing it. So with the help, yeah, to bring we also, the app. you know, there's a whole like, you know, check like a thing where you go through, you cross off what aren't your things. They work with you. Then they look at, okay, here's the process. Here's the basics. Here's the meat and potatoes. Oh, but you guys don't eat potatoes. Let's get those off. Mm, yeah. And then we look through that, but it's a, it's anywhere from, you know, five to 20 hours of working with this person to make something that already works for us. And so people think, oh, if I just take yours and do it, um, it's just going to work. It's not. It's not going to work. You, no. in the, you, everyone. Uh, the thing about our society is, we all want fix really, really quick fixes. I want you to come in there, and I want to on Friday, on Monday, I want all my company processes. I want them all to work for me, and I'll pay you fifty thousand dollars. But mm -hmm. I want it to work in two days. Can't. I'm sorry, you could pay me a million dollars. It's not going to work. Which is a crazy insight to me. When I look at like the stair-stepping ladder of progress here, first is the will is the will and intention, then is the willingness to write a check, and then is the willingness to actually get involved. Oftentimes writing the check is like the easiest part oh, of yeah. the thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and the conflation is, well, the bigger the check, the more right. likely I am to get an outcome. <laughs> right, right. Which is just not true. But Jordan, when I I've worked with all the different softwares. And I had been on Lead Simple a while ago, and then I was on Podio, but I was getting back into Lead Simple after you guys created the process uh, management process um, system in there. And you guys, as part of the package, required that I pay for at least one process. And I'm thinking to myself, and I know how to build processes. I don't need this. I understand the fundamentals of this, um, but I'm actually glad you did that because they had um, you guys. I knew what I wanted in the process because I already had it. I knew all the tasks, when it's going to happen. But by you guys forcing me to do that actually gave me a fast forward. Um, the learning curve of learning the software Lead Simple mm. was like, I learned it all fast. So then I was able to go and do the other ones easier. So maybe for your first process, pick a process, hire somebody to help you with it. So you get a good idea of the context, how it should look. And then you can kind of do a lot of them on your own. I, I think facilitation is really valuable if for no other purpose, the accountability that's built into it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you have that facilitator there, they're paying somebody. Gonna, you're gonna yeah, paying somebody and, and they just, they give you the homework. I mean, even if they're not the ones in there necessarily building it for you to at least get that accountability. They send you to go do homework. Oh, right. Well, yeah. Come back with the homework so you can implement it. Yeah. Well, that's why you need to pay. But like people that don't make it a priority, you know, they're sitting there doing an inspection of a property. They're doing this. They're like, I don't want to hire other people because I'm, you know, it's me. And I don't want to pay someone $15 mm -hmm. an hour because I could be doing that myself. Do $100 an hour work. Don't yes. do $15 an yeah. hour. Mm -hmm. Too many owners yeah. are like trying to cut corners here and there. And then they're like, 
but I just, but I'll, I'll give you ten thousand dollars just to make it work. And it's like we need your time. We need you. We need you involved. Right. Like we can build it for you. We can make it so that the, you know the roads there. The input, but, but we need your input. We need your otherwise. We're, I'm building my company, not yours. I need to know how your company works. I, I know we're here to talk about systems processes, but, but Paul, that's an excellent point. And the, the problem is that um, a lot of business owners, they have a job, they don't have a business, mm -hmm. and they don't have the bandwidth to do that. Um, you know, I talked to some companies, and, and the first thing I tell the way they talk to me, I'm like, okay, so uh, I can tell already that you're working about 12 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Yes, I am. Okay. So, you know, so when I'm helping other companies, quite frankly, where I start is not with the processes, it's actually with the revenue. Because like, okay, you need some breathing room here. More we, margin. You need more margin. We need to work on your revenue. Um, and once we work on your revenue, that's going to give you the breathing room to uh, either hire the, get, you know, different staff or more staff or get the tools or whatever. But you need more margin uh, just so you personally can start working on your business and not in your business. Well, I, I always say that Jordan is the reason I changed my entire uh, business model because I went to PM, PM Grow, and um, I was one of the, your first, the very first PM Grow, and I was one of your samples. And I looked at it and they said, you pay yourself $24,000 a year, you're in the red. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm in the black. I'm making like, money. And they're like, yeah, you can work at McDonald's to make more money. You're in the red. Mm -hmm. And they went through and I'm like, but I'm working so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but I'm working like seven days a week. I'm doing this. They're like, yeah, get a new job or change how you're going to do things. And that's when I said, I'm going to hire more people, which sounds kind of silly. You, you're not making money, so you hire more people so that I can do the things to make my business more profitable. Yeah. Going and doing an inspection and taking 500 photos as the owner of a company is saving you $25, $30, $40, but it's hurting you because that time could be used. I think the people that have a hard time delegating and hiring somebody are the people that possibly know that if they don't do that work, then they're going to be forced to do the stuff that they don't want to do, the yes. high-end stuff. So they have... Um, they don't plan like if they do if they don't do the inspection they have a couple extra hours in the week they know they don't have the integrity or the uh or to to actually do what they should do with the time so that's why they stick to it stick doing the stuff well, they shouldn't do what i did and to start when i when i finally realized that is i took two hours a day just two hours and i blocked out those two hours that i could not do any crap work mm -hmm. i had to do high level thinking time that's discipline. and then and but yeah but it was just it was a short period of time and i had so that's only 10 hours a week and then and then eventually i was like oh my gosh i'm getting so much work done let's hire people and let me do four let me do 60 hours of that let me do then let me do now let me do 40 now let me do 20 it went the other way because i'm like i don't want to work as many hours but it was like once i got people doing it i was still working hard but it was good stuff and that was that's exactly starting that process the discipline saying, oh, I can do it. It's just so much easier for me to do it myself than create a system and process and delegate and train someone to do it. So let me just, the average person, I think the layman will just continue doing it themselves, every business. But if you have to take the discipline to say, no matter what, no matter how tempting and how quick I could do it myself, I am going to delegate this and give this to somebody else to do. The two most important. Every time. The two most important things, process is an EOS. Those two things you combine together, then all of a sudden you are not just 
doing the job. It's a structure that's bigger yeah. than you. Yeah, and I was going to mention that. Like, it takes discipline for the two hours, but it's also helpful to have a system in place like EOS that will help you. Because here's what happens. Like most companies, right, or a lot of business owners, and this used to be me, I get to the end of every day and I would think, man, I was so busy today. Well, what happened? But what did I actually get done? Like, what did I really accomplish today? Like, all I did was respond to all the people that were yelling at me all day. Yeah. And, and they reacted. And, and rea- yeah. They decided for me what was the most important thing I was going to do today. And I agreed with them and did it. And, but it probably wasn't the most important thing. So to have a system in place by which to determine, like, okay, look, um, I have these 10 things on my plate. Only two of them are actually really important. I'm going to let the other eight just sit on the floor, and they are what they are, and I'll get to them when I get to them. But to have a system to be able to create that discipline and to confidently get at the end of every day and say, no, I worked on the right things today um, is really helpful. You know, part of what I think is about this moment that we're in, this historical kind of moment, is that we're seeing the continuance of this conversation around disruption, outside capital coming in. And guys, as far as where I sit, I am for inside out innovation and disruption, not outside in. And I see what you guys are doing with the technology, the leverage, the scale, the autonomy, being able to have a self-managing company pursuing that vision and having it still grow. That's what excites me. I see this vision for outsiders that are going to come in here and they're going to take $10 million and build this technology and build their own app folio. What, what do you guys see as what is possible for independent operators to effectively disrupt themselves? And do you, do you feel like to some extent that that's what you did to yourselves with your own business? I mean, I think that the big difference is in property management, you have two types of property managers. Those are working 60 hours a week and are going to burn out and they're going to be out of the business. And you have those that are learning how not to work 60 hours a week. And they're learning how to have other people work and they're learning how to own a business and actually enjoy it. Like, I mean, I know me and Matthew talk all the time. We like what we do. I I like, I mean, you have bad days, but we like it. We like going to work. It's not a grind anymore. Well, because we're creating. You're not in the trenches. We're creating stuff. We're not sitting there doing an inspection or talking to an owner or talking to a tenant. I don't do those things. You're not fixing broken toilets. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, so, I mean, all the way from the back day when like we had, I knew proper managers who did their own repairs. It's like, the, you're just a handyman at that point. Like well, some people that are property managers are not necessarily entrepreneurs. Yeah, sure. They, be, they were property managers and it just kind of happened. So, you know, if you look at E-Myth, you've got technician, manager, entrepreneur, they just don't really adopt that entrepreneur mindset. They're technicians and that's who they are and they're, Maybe they're comfortable with it. Maybe they're not. Maybe and they it don't can be know. a great living for a technician, yeah. by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we should all acknowledge that. that. If that's really what somebody wants, that's great. But just get clear on, yes. on which seat. Yeah, exactly. And then, but I think everyone in this room are entrepreneurs. So I don't necessarily think we're property managers. We're entrepreneurs in the property management business. So we tend to automate, systemize, and do all of that. But if you're someone who's just, you're a property manager, that's what you identify you don't even identify yourself as a business owner. You're a property manager. You're not, you're going to do the work all day. And then you're never going to have time to leverage your business. You know, when people ask me, why did I get into real estate? I'm like, honestly, I just didn't want to have a boss anymore. I said, I'm not that passionate about real estate. I'm just passionate about not having a boss. <laughs> the autonomy, you know, be able to create and do stuff. Um, you know, in terms, in terms of the inside disruption, um, you know, through systems and processes and all this stuff, you know, I, I got to a point several years ago where I was only working in my business like three to five hours a week. 
And, uh, and, and Jordan, I was talking to you one day about that. And I was like, Jordan, I don't really know what to do. I was like, you know, I created all this time for myself, but now what? Like, what actually is the job of a business the Systems owner? and processes. But, yeah, and Jordan said, um, and I don't know if you remember this, but Jordan was like, well, I think the job of a business owner is to uh, exponentially create value for their business. And, um, and that was really meaningful for me, especially the exponential work. Because I was like, okay, you know, I, I probably have been doing a lot of either I was stagnating. Yeah, I was either stagnating for a long time and not even knowing I was stagnating, or yes, just linear incremental increases. But to think, okay... Um, I can hire other people that can even do the linear growth, yeah. right? The mm. unit by unit growth. Mm-hmm. But if I can do things that create value that exponentially grow my that's business. That's next level stuff. That's yeah, like that's want to be. Exactly. And so that was really exciting for me. And that's where I really started to spread my wings. And I think as an entrepreneur, my favorite thing is the fact that I know that all these people are getting paychecks, whether they're in the United States or they're in Mexico or whatever it is. It's like, we're creating things. It feels and good. It's, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to like. It's a game. Like, I mean. I have two companies, Jordan, you have three. I mean, you have two. I mean, it's like, I, I, I think when you win, it's a good feeling to know that a lot of people are winning with you. Yeah. But it's in, in creating and just making something. It's, it's like when you're a kid and you played with Legos and you just had something. It's the best part of being an entrepreneur is building the product. Once you build the product, I'm like, okay, what's the And our product, product is a system, right? Our product really is the, the systems and pro- Like what we create and say process sheet or lead simple is our product. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Yeah. All of the email templates we created, when they go out, the tasks, when they're done, how they're done, that is our product. Yeah. We, we live in a world where, um, you know, especially through social media or whatever, that we're always comparing ourselves to others. And... Um, and I just want to say, you know, it can feel discouraging if you are if you are that person that right now is working that grind we're talking about, you know, 12, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and you look at these other people that are experiencing more freedom in their business than you are. It, it can be actually discouraging from time to time. And I just want to say, you know, like um, I was in I was in that grind on that hamster wheel for way too many years um, doing that. And, and then to Paul's point, you know, he made earlier. It's a slow process, no pun intended. Yeah, it's a slow process to get to where you need to get to. It's not going to happen overnight. No, it's about... You didn't get there overnight. No, I always say it's about an 18 to 24-month commitment Mm. to to really go through everything you need to go through to make these changes to experience the end goal. And you have to be committed to that 18 to 24-month thing. And there'll be setbacks during that time. There'll be things you create that wasn't the right thing. And you either have to rework it or scrap it. But but stick with it. A journey, yeah. Well... And the, the big thing you're talking about that 18 to 24 months is I would get someone that's another property manager that you're friends with. It could be a friend, it could be a mentor, it could be whoever it wants, and tell them what your one goal is. So when I started, my cell phone, my tenants had my cell phone, my owners had my cell phone, everybody had my cell phone. So what I did, number that I had for 30 years or a long time, ever since cell phones came transferred out, transferred it. I got rid of it. Oh, it, you it, just, goes, you when you killed it. Phone, no, when it goes to my... It goes to the front desk, but yeah. it basically goes to the front desk and I got a new cell phone and I was like, oh my gosh, I've had that cell phone my whole That's life. That's a big deal. And I got that. And then I started off by telling my friend, Chris Molnix, he had a property management in Indiana. I said, I need you to call me every month and ask me how many tents I talked to this month. Mm. And so that month I get, he, he would call me and be like, Paul, how many tents did you talk to? I'm like, like 10. Like, you're doing a bad job. <laughs> and I was like, because like any, any, he was my friend. So he would go off on me, off on me. And the next month I'd be like, ah, I talked to five. He's like, okay, you're getting better, but I wanted zero. And eventually I got to zero. And then it was, okay, Paul, now stop talking to owners. Mm-hmm. And then unless we're getting sued, I shouldn't be talking to an owner or, you know, something like major. 
And so then we went through that. And I did that for where he called me for probably almost two years. And I got to the point where after like six months, seven months, I wasn't talking to tenants. Mm-hmm. And then after it took about two years to not talk to owners, like to the point. But it's not, people think, oh, I'm just going to change overnight. No. It's a slow mm-hmm. thing. Just take things off your plate and then get short-term get, goals. But mm-hmm. you, when you take it off your plate, like I had to, when I took tenants off my plate, I couldn't take owners off because I didn't have the systems or things in place. My owners would have got failed. So I had to get everything set so that someone else could handle the owners at the same care, the same level, mm. the same commitment mm. I was doing because I didn't want my owners to all of a sudden be like, oh, now we'd have no one to talk to. You can't just not talk to owners. Someone has to talk to them and they talk to them right. I love the vision that you guys are sharing and I love how agnostic this is of software. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, is, this is a business conversation that at some point technology intersects with and enables. But at the end of the day, you guys are talking about a really attractive vision that I think anyone listening wants and craves to have more of that. So I salute you guys for being able to get to where you've gotten. And I'm excited for other folks to be able to interact and have conversations with you guys. I mean, I assume you guys are good with people reaching out. They no. Were- yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, Paul just said, don't call, call me. Don't call don't me. Call me. <laughs> no, I, I actually, now my cell phone, the property managers have it. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like, I, you can find me on Facebook. I like talking to property managers. I like trying to help people out because what I found is NARPUM and this whole thing, being part of NARPUM, is everybody helped me. Yeah. This journey. Yeah. So many different people give it back. Give it back. So I will always talk to anyone. I think any, anyone in this room, when you when you get to the certain level where you're an entrepreneur, not a technician, you get a lot of joy in conveying your Amen. what you've done and what you're doing 100%. at the entrepreneur level. When you're a technician, you all you can really share is complaints. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Commiserating. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to be able to be in a position to actually Give back. And I and I still remember having like 40 doors and someone with a thousand doors is like giving me advice and spending an hour on the phone with me. And I'm like, I only have 40 doors. Yeah. So like, that's the thing is it doesn't matter how many doors you have. People in this community are going to help. You just got to reach out to people. It's a beautiful part of, of what we do. And that's part of the, the generous spirit that defines this industry and, uh, and property years. management. Because when I did real estate sales, there wasn't as much not sharing. Thing. It's not as much yeah. sharing. It was very secretive what we we're doing because... But I, one of the first things I noticed when I be, became a property manager and joined NARPA, I couldn't get over how sharing and giving yeah. everybody was. Yeah. And I think it's NARPA property managers. Because you, if you're not a NARPA property manager, there's other property managers out there that are still like, they don't want anything to do with you. They're in their little box. And yeah. They're going to do their cube. So D- D- Dave and I are in the exact same market. Matter of fact, we've had clients that have gone back and forth between us. I give Matthew and- bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> we give each other sabotage. Yeah, but uh, but no, I mean, David and I chat we regularly and, and sharpen each other's businesses. And, and yeah, that's the community that I like to foster. Just like Paul, I absolutely love talking with other property management companies. It's actually the my favorite thing, favorite way to spend my time. And so, uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I actually haven't carried a business card in years. It just created a digital business card uh, that you can I go bet to. it's got a QR code on it. How do you get it that? Does, yeah, it does. Facebook, you yeah it's, 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 through, it's through an app. So my, the URL for the digital business card is matthew.zenmaster.me. So anybody can just go check that out. Just another and have to have that app too? No, no, it's just a, it's just a website. Yeah, it's <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right, There's well, a process for it. Don't worry. <laughs> There's a we'll, process for getting We'll leave it there, guys. Again, this is a pleasure. Thanks for coming in and thanks for everything you guys do. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Boom. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? 
Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.